Thanks for joining us at the Ham South Podcast Network. If you're interested in joining us in our services, we meet at 10am on a Sunday at 131 or Hoporo in Melbourne. We'd love to see you there. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Now to the pod. Thank you, Paul family. So today, it actually brings us to our final instalment um, in our Colossians series. So if you've been here throughout, it's kind of been a bit longer because we've had a few things in between, but this is the final instalment. So throughout the series, you may or may not remember, but we've spoken about prayer um, and about the good news. We've talked about the supremacy of Christ, and we've talked about the mystery of the good news revealed. We spoke about putting our roots down into Jesus, and we've spoken about the new life that Christ has given us and how we interact with one another in that new life um, that we have in Christ. And so today, um, there's a few different things that Paul talks about in this final chapter, but we're going to be talking about prayer again. And I just think that Paul was probably making a bit of a statement there as he opened and closes this letter talking about prayer. Um, He began with a description of his prayer for the Colossians, and now he ends with a call to prayer for the Colossians to enter into. 18. To read today from Colossians chapter 4, um, from verses 2 to 18. So if you want to turn with me to that now, it's also going to pop up on the screen as well. So beginning from verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor in Demas, sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, 
and to Nympha in the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So when I was down in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago for my ministry development course, and we spent a few mornings of the week with a guy called Richard Black. He's from an organization called Strength to Strength, which you may or may not have heard of. But um, over those three days, we talked a lot about our identity and our sense of calling. And then on the last day, he asked us this question. If Jesus said to you, what do you want to do for the kingdom? It could be anything. And I will back you, 100% I will back you in it. What would you say? Or what would you want to achieve? What would you want to do for the kingdom? So he asked us this question to help us to get kind of an overall sense um, of our area of passion or calling. And it also helped us to see how our identity, who I am, and what we do, my role, feed into that passion or calling? And I really, really loved this question, and I was quite surprised at how quickly and easily I came up with a response to it. But I'm not going to share that with you right now. Um, But what I do want to share with you is what I think Paul's response to that question might have been. So Paul, he lived to share the message of the gospel with the Gentiles. So Paul himself, he was born a Jew and followed and enforced very strict Jewish practices until he met Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. So from the time when Paul met Jesus, he went, um, he set about his mission to share the good news um, with the Gentiles, and he was just going to any Gentiles that he could get to, anyone and everyone, he wanted to share it with them. And now, many of the letters that we read in the New Testament are written from Paul to the individuals or to the churches that he might have visited or established, um, where he saw people come to Christ, where he saw Gentiles turn their lives around and come to Christ in those places. And so I found a commentary, um, in a commentary this week, a sentence which I think sums up um, Paul's area of passion or calling quite well. It said, Paul's desire is to declare the gospel. He has been grasped by God to share with the Gentiles Christ's reconciling work. So Paul has been grasped by God to share the good news of Christ with the Gentiles. I mean, as Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, He was in prison. He was in chains, physically bound. And the reason that he was in those chains was because of what he was doing. The message of the gospel wasn't a popular message, not at all. And even then, when Paul was physically bound, physically restricted because of sharing the gospel message, he he would still claim that he was more bound to that calling to share the message with the Gentiles. More bound than his physical chains... He was bound to sharing the message with the Gentiles. Despite his suffering, despite his chains, despite his imprisonment, Paul would continue to do exactly what God had called him to, exactly what got him into that place in the first place. Because that meant 
that he was working in his calling. And so this ending to Colossians, it gives kind of an insight into what I think are three key things that Paul relied on for continuing this mission that God had given him. So firstly, Paul devoted himself to prayer. As I said earlier, the letter to the Colossians opens with Paul describing um, his prayer for the Colossians. He describes himself and Epaphras praying for them constantly, asking God that the faith of the Colossians would be strengthened and that it would be deepened through the understanding that the Spirit gives them. And then here at the end of this letter, he, uh, he urges the Colossians to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Do you remember the disciples that went with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray? And Jesus took them in there with him, and then he left them at a certain spot and carried on a bit further. And then he returned to them later in the night and found them all asleep. And he says to them, he has to remind them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus urged his disciples to be alert and to be in prayer as it would help them to remain strong against any temptation that might come their way. And then Paul here reminds the Colossians to do the same. Because as we know, this letter was written to the Colossians at a time where their faith wavered. And so Paul encourages them to commit to prayer that will help them to strengthen and fortify their faith. Paul also encourages them to be thankful. A reminder, a simple reminder to keep their eyes up. To keep their eyes up and focused on God and all that he has gifted them. Rather than getting bogged down in kind of the dull realities of everyday life and the hardships that they come across. Christ is the one in whom, through whom, And from whom we have everything. So keep your eyes up, Paul tells them. And let gratitude overflow from your hearts. I mean, Paul of anyone. He had a lot of reasons to complain to God. I mean, he was physically in chains, in prison. And it was because of what God had asked him to do. Yet instead, in Paul's letters, instead of laying out his complaints, or like, I'm really sick of being here in prison, or I'm so hungry, or whatever it might be, he always began his letters with thankfulness, describing his thankfulness for those people that he was working with, the people he'd been praying for, um, those who were serving on his behalf, you name it. Paul was thankful for it, and he constantly had this thankfulness for what Christ had done for him, this, I guess, deep, deep understanding and revelation that though he was in chains, he could still be thankful for what Christ had done. Paul knew, he knew what it was to be devoted to prayer and to always keep his eyes up, focused on Christ as his goal and his reality. Paul then goes on to ask the Colossians to pray for himself and his co-laborers. I mean, Paul was an apostle and certainly one of the great ones. He himself prayed incessantly for so many people in so many churches. Um, And he shared the good news of the gospel with so many people. He He was quite well known. He was quite important. Yet he wasn't too prideful. He was never too prideful to ask for others to pray for him as well. 
He said, pray for me and my co-laborers that God would open doors for his message so that we might proclaim the good news of Christ, even though that is the very reason I'm in these chains. Pray for me, Paul asks, that I may be able to proclaim it clearly for all to know and for all to understand. Paul was in prison, in chains. He couldn't physically go very far himself. He was restricted. And because of his physical restrictions, the reach of his proclamation was a bit restricted too. And so Paul humbly asks that the Colossians would pray for him, that he would see doors open so that the reach of this gospel message that he so desperately wants to share with everyone he can, so that that message may go beyond what is even humanly possible. He asks um, the Colossians to commit themselves to praying for him and his team as they work through their challenges and their setbacks so that God may extend their possible reach. Because Paul knows that his reach and his ability relies only on the power of God, and so he invites the Colossians to intercede on his behalf and to join him as he seeks to take the gospel further. And do you think that Paul or the Colossians had any idea what those prayers might do? Just how far and how wide the gospel message would spread? Do you think they had any idea that their stories and their prayers would be recorded in a book that for years and years to come would serve the gospel message, would further the gospel message and deepen faith in the lives of so many And I think that can only be attributed to the power of prayer. And how often do we doubt the power of prayer? How often do we kind of shrug our shoulders and just not bother praying because maybe we feel like it will get us nowhere or maybe the offer of prayer, might you might think it seems a little empty to someone. And also how often do we refuse to ask for prayer? Choosing instead to think, I'll do this on my own. I can do it by myself. Prayer is a tool that has been gifted to us. A line of communication between us and our Heavenly Father. Prayer can be used to harness the power of God, to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. Yet so often we underestimate it. Or we even write it off before we try. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer helps us to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on Christ so that we can look to him as our goal and our reality as we work in what God has called us to. Secondly, Paul knew what it was to live wisely. Paul's life was dedicated to reaching the Gentiles with the good news of Christ. The Gentiles were those who didn't have any faith. Unlike Paul, they hadn't grown up as Jews, so they didn't have that kind of religious background that he did. And so Paul had to learn how to conduct himself, how to interact with those people, because they were different to him. They had a different background to him. And his message, it wasn't a popular one. He was in prison. Um, But this was Paul's mission, to share it, given to him by God. And so he had to learn to be wise in doing that. And so he shares his advice here with the Colossians. 
Paul tells them, first of all, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And I really like that it says toward in this verse because it suggests that the Colossians or that we need to go out, that we need to go towards those who are non-believers, the ones outside of the church. So the Colossians, they were now partners with Paul in God's mission, and that required them to move toward outsiders. And that's something that can be daunting for a minority group, which as Christians in that time, they were a minority group. And so they were concerned. They were quite concerned with the impression that they would make on these people that they were trying to reach. And Paul knew this. He knew this more than anyone, really. And he knew that this meant they needed to be wise in the way they conducted themselves if they were to have any hope at all, really, of opening a space where they could share the good news. Because the Christians had something that these Gentiles didn't yet have. They had fullness and freedom in Christ. And that was something that they could use to lord it over the Gentiles or to alienate them from their churches. And so they needed to be wise in their approach so that they didn't turn people away before they even had the chance to come in. Paul then goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity. Be wise and considered in your approach, he's telling them, but also get going and get out there because time is limited. Paul wants the Colossians to know the sense of urgency he feels about this and that they must do everything they can to exhaust every opportunity they come across to share the good news with those who don't yet know it. So be wise and get going. But Paul also recognises that this is daunting for the Colossians and he doesn't want them to feel fearful or threatened or isolated as they encounter non-believers and so he gives them three tips or three characteristics of what their conversations um, should have as they speak to these non-believers. He says their words should always be gracious as graciousness will go a long way to helping anyone receive their message. And their words need to be salty, which I mean to us sounds like maybe a bad thing. But in Paul's day, he was saying, let your words be flavorsome and lively. Let what you say be relatable, humorous even, so that you won't be written off as irrelevant or boring. Kind of get amongst it. Get get amongst what these people are doing and don't kind of alienate yourself from them. But in order to talk to them, we need to... We need to be flavoursome. We need to be a little bit salty. And Paul also encourages the Colossians to be well-grounded in their faith as they lived in a hostile environment and they were trying to share an unpopular message. So they needed to be prepared for opposition, for challenge that would come their way. And they could do that by having their answers ready and their faith strong. Paul had to learn what it meant to live wisely amongst the Gentiles he encountered. He spent the first part of his life as a Pharisee, the strictest of the Jews. And so he spent his days judging the Christians' behavior. So you can only imagine what he thought of Gentile behavior. And Paul knew from his many years of watching the Christians closely, he knew that the Gentiles did this too. 
They were on the lookout to see how the Christians were living before the Christians even tried to share their message with them. And so while first impressions aren't everything, the way that Christians conduct themselves go a long way to opening opportunities to share God's message with those who are not yet believers. So how do you conduct yourself around non-Christians? Do you find it easy to stand strong in your face, to faith, to stand strong to what you believe? Or do you find that sometimes you might let it slip just a little bit, just to kind of fit in a bit more, be one of the crowd? The biggest way that we share the gospel is often through our demonstration of gospel principles in the way that we live day to day. So it's important to evaluate ourselves and the ways that we are living and test it by Christ. Maybe you need to stop in some situations and say, is this what God would have for me? Or if someone were to ask me why I'm doing this, would my answer point only to Christ? We need to check in with ourselves and we need to learn what it is to live wisely to walk toward non-believers at every opportunity, to speak with grace and a seasoning of salt, and to be prepared for opposition with our answers ready and our faith strong. Thirdly, Paul knows how to network. From verse 7 through to 18, Paul names 10 different people who are in one way or another associated with him, with the Colossians, or people that the Colossians should associate with, or he's making connections between all sorts of people. He names Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, and Archippus. And he also mentions the churches at Hierapolis and Laodicea, all of these people are involved in some way or another. All of them have become co-laborers with Paul. For Tychicus and Onesimus, they're the ones who are going to bring the letter to the Colossians to read it to them, and they're also going to give them an update on Paul's situation. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice send their greetings as the only other Jews who are working with Paul and his mission. Epaphras, the one who shared the good news with the Colossians in the first place. He sends his greetings to them as well, and Paul advises that he is always wrestling in prayer on their behalf. Then Luke and Demas also send their greetings, and Paul asks for his greetings to be sent to Nympha and the church at her house. Paul also requests that the letter be shared with the Laodiceans, and then finally that they give Archippus this very specific message. See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I mean, Paul is a networking machine. He's connected himself with all of these different people in all sorts of different ways. And he's connected himself with the Colossians, along with every other church that he's visited or established in his time. And I mean, I can only imagine that these 10 that he's listed, that they're not even the half of it, not even half of the people involved. But Paul, he knows, he kind of knows that he can't do this all himself. I mean, the calling that God has given him to share the good news with the Gentiles, that's pretty big. And so Paul, he's cultivated this network around himself because he's not self-sufficient. 
And so he affirms and recognises the contributions that these others have made. Because while Paul has a specific calling on his own life to participate in God's mission to the Gentiles, he recognised that no one can work alone. No one could fulfil that alone. So he promotes cooperation rather than independence or competition. And he encourages everyone to pray for everyone else, for opportunities everywhere, rather than just focusing on opportunities for ourselves in our own area. And he emphasizes praying that every Christian in every circumstance would have the wisdom and the courage to communicate the gospel boldly and clearly. And I mean, this takes vulnerability and it takes humility and it takes a real desire for unity in Christ. The mission that God has called us to, it's not a simple one. As Paul signs off his letter, remember my chains, a striking reminder that this is a hostile world that we live in. It's not a world that's necessarily jumping at the thought of the gospel message. And so we need each other to live with and support each other and to hold each other up and help each other to see hope when we can't see it ourselves. Like Paul, we need to hold tightly, very tightly to what God has called us to. But we always need to remember that God has called us to serve with and alongside others, supporting one another and praying for one another. So who are those in your network? Maybe you're a part of a home group and they're your network. Or maybe you want to be a part of a home group. Do you have people around you that you can pray with and pray for, and they can do the same for you. Where is your support coming from? Because we weren't created to do this alone. Three things that Paul relied on in order to continue his mission. A devotion to prayer, learning how to live wisely, and having a committed network around him. So what is your mission, or what has God called you to? Well, take a moment just to consider this question. If Jesus said to you, what do you want to do for the kingdom? It could be anything, and I will back you, 100%, I'll back you in it. What would you say? What would you want to do for the kingdom? What would you want to achieve? Just think about it for a moment. I thought I was going to be, I was really organized this morning, but I forgot. But maybe you want to write down what, um, what that is, if you have a pen and paper. Use your phone. I was going to leave pens and paper, but I didn't. But write it down. If you come up with an answer quickly, write it down so you remember it. Or maybe nothing comes to you that easily. So you might want to write the question down so that you can come back to it over the next week or so and ask God and maybe see what he might be revealing to you, where he might be leading you. 
But when we were asked that question down in Christchurch, the answer just came to me like that. And I said, I want to see broken families restored through realizing who they are and who they can be in Jesus. And so if that is my answer, then my next step has to be committing myself to prayer for these people and to learn how to live wisely amongst these families and also to form a committed network around this mission, around this calling and invite others to work with me, to co-labor, to pray with me and me to pray with them and to support one another. Because In this church, we're a bunch of individuals, aren't we? As any church anywhere. And like Paul had a specific calling to share the good news with the Gentiles in his case, we each have been given calling and passion from God. And that may differ from the person sitting next to you. Or it might be weirdly similar, you never know. But we have all been given these individual things. And we are all individual people. But we can't do it alone. The idea of being given a calling isn't so that we all jet off in different directions. The idea of a church is that we come together and we fellowship and we support one another. We hear about what one another are doing and can encourage and affirm one another, pray for them, have the hard conversations if they need to be had. But we are in this body together to work together, to co-labor in the greater mission of sending Jesus's message all over the world. And so I'd like to take a little bit of time this morning to maybe start on some of those next steps. And maybe sharing, if you came up with something, maybe sharing that will feel a little bit raw. But I encourage you to do that with those around you. Maybe find people who might be in your network if that feels safer for you. But gather in groups, maybe around where you're sitting or you can, you can work it out. But share what God has called you to. Share what your passion is. Because this is exciting stuff. This is the kingdom of God in this place. And as we share our passions and as we share what we are called to, we can get excited for one another and we can spur one another on. So get together into some groups. Share what you might be thinking of, what you believe God is calling you to, and then take some time to pray with one another, just to encourage one another, and to continue to seek God for clarity around what that passion or calling might look like as it plays out. And pray that we would learn to live wisely amongst the people that we are trying to reach, and pray that we would be able to support one another in a united network that exists to uphold and affirm one another in love. So gather now around you and just share and pray with one another for a few minutes. Then the band will hop up and we'll finish with a final song. But I want to give you this time now to share with one another because I think it'll be exciting when we hear what one another, what each other has to say. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. Before you go, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rotatuna and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Thanks again.